You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. I hope that you have... Um, learned a lot as we have trekked through this wonderful, wonderful gospel account uh, from uh, John's perspective, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, What a wonderful, wonderful testimony that John has given us of our Lord and Savior. He tells us, John tells us that he has written all of these things so that you and I may believe that he is the Messiah, that he is our Lord and Savior. That's the purpose of John writing his gospel. He says that Jesus did more miracles than what he had written down, but he believes that that, that there wasn't even, there there wasn't rooms large enough to contain all of the books uh, that it would take to contain all that Jesus Christ had done, which tells me two things. Uh, Jesus um, is a miracle worker, was and is. And number two, it tells me that we have all we need in God's Word to believe that He is our Lord and Savior. If we needed anything else, if we needed an extra word, if we needed any other sign, John would have given it to us. But John has said, These I have written. In other words, this is all you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now, you would think that John would close out the book in John chapter 20. Jesus has been resurrected. John tells us why he writes the book. But he gives us John chapter 21. And it's it's an incredibly important chapter that I believe many in the church and several outside of the church need to hear. Because John is writing about the restoration of the Apostle Peter, who rejected Jesus publicly, not privately. I mean, he did did it privately as well, but he rejected Jesus publicly three times. It, it It is the story of one who has come to believe is Jesus the Messiah, but somewhere along their journey came to a point where Jesus wasn't enough, and they rejected Jesus, and they turned towards the world. And they're living towards the world's standards. Or maybe they're still connected within a church body, but it's just just perfunctory. It's just something that we do, kind of something we do as a culture pretty much every Sunday. I mean, if nothing else is going on, we're in church. And John is writing to talk about Peter, who publicly rejected Jesus and then publicly was restored to following him. What a beautiful, beautiful story. John chapter 1, I'm sorry, John chapter 21. We're not going all the way back to John chapter 1. I laid my glasses down somewhere. Sorry. Pause for just a second. Thank you. John chapter 1, chapter 21. (laughs) Sorry. Maybe I should pray. We'll do that here in just a moment. John chapter 21, verse 1. Listen to the setting. Here's the 
Here's the the setting of this story. After this, after the resurrection, after Jesus uh, uh, shows himself to the to the to the disciples as a group at two separate occasions, Thomas, remember Thomas doubted that he was that he was really resurrected, and Jesus shows up. Put your hands here. After these events, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. This is literally the Sea of Galilee. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, uh, and two others of his disciples were together. Now, let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Father, I pray that you, oh God, you help us to see marvelous grace, marvelous mercy. And God, I pray that you would help us to see that you are worthy of all of our life. You love us. You know us. You know the depths of our soul. And you still choose us. You have made available redemption for all of us. Oh God, may we may we fall in love with you afresh, all anew, as we see Peter doing. It's in your son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. A year ago, this next week, Kim and I had the opportunity to stand in this very place on the Sea of Galilee or on the on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I want you to see a couple of pictures. Alan, will you, will you pop those up there? This is, this was the, this is what we woke up to um, uh, as we as came to the, to the Sea of Galilee, got up really early. I was able to, to snap this picture. That's a real boat. It's not a prop. That's the real sun. That is the real Sea of Galilee. That is where Jesus walked uh, on the water. Uh, we tried that one, very successful. Uh, but we walked everywhere else, and we were on the shore there. Where, where this event that we're going to read this morning, I want you to see another picture. Um, this is a statue. It's kind, of, it's kind of hard to see, but it's a statue that is where in the area, roughly where they believe this event took place, where Jesus uh, restored Peter back to, uh, back to ministry. Uh, and I'll show you another picture. I believe this one is of Kim and I. Yeah, um, uh, this is us uh, there on the shores. And um, I... I um, I borrowed a rock uh, from the Sea of Galilee, uh, and I have that at my house if anybody would like to take it. I hope I get to take it back one day. I would love to go back to Israel. If you guys would ever like to go, we could put up a group and go, and I might take it back. I'm not sure. Uh, but that's, that is the Sea of Galilee. That is a, uh, that's right there on the shores of where they believe this event that we're going to take place. Now, I was afraid Logan was talking earlier about the baked potato fundraiser. I thought I had you lost at bacon. I thought as soon as he said there was going to be bacon this morning, I was like, oh, I'm not going to get no attention whatsoever. But if that didn't, um, if I didn't lose you or if Logan didn't lose you with bacon, maybe this next picture will help, you know, uh, help a little bit. Um, so if you'll show this. Oh, you really can't see that very well. Uh, off to the, the, to, the, uh, to the right of the picture, those are uh, the heads of fish. This was what we had for lunch one day. This was fish that was caught right out of the Sea of Galilee, uh, much what they believe like 2,000 years ago, what, uh, uh, what, the, what Peter caught. And uh, that's not bread, but it's the best we could do. It's French fries. Uh, but, but that is like the whole fish, eyeballs and everything. It was just, uh, uh, show the next picture. I want you to see that I cleaned my plate. Um, you see, see how pl- clean the plate is uh, all around the fish? Uh, I mean, it was, it was clean all around the fish. Um, 
and, uh, and I left it one little uh, fridge fry there. Uh, but but man, this is this is an absolutely beautiful story of Jesus restoring uh, the Apostle Paul uh, back back to ministry, uh, back to being and doing what Jesus originally called him to do after he publicly denied Jesus uh, three times. Look with me in verse 3. This morning, the sermon is going to be a little bit different in that there's not going to be points. There's not going to be a, a couple of points for you to write down, but I do want you to write this down. I want you to write down scenes. There are four scenes in our text this morning, and we're going to look at them scene by scene. Within each scene, there's a command. And we can see where the disciples are obedient. There's seven disciples, Peter being one of them, John also being one of them. So John's writing them this from a, a firsthand account. But there's four scenes. Each scene has at least one uh, command. We see where they're obedient uh, to each one of those commands. So the first scene is in John chapter 21, verses 3 through 6. Look at what happens. Peter has seen Jesus. He has showed up into the room twice where Peter is at. Of course, Jesus has been resurrected, buried, and I'm sorry, crucified, buried, and resurrected. A few days have gone by, and Peter tells the others, I'm going fishing, to which they say, I, we're, we're coming with you. They went out and they got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. So all seven of these disciples are together. It's seven to eight days after the resurrection. And Peter tells the group, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to doing what I was doing before Jesus called me to be a disciple. This looks a whole lot like you and I coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then somewhere down the road getting disinterested in Jesus or we... We hit a, a roadblock that we didn't think that should be there. There's just something didn't line up with what we th- thought Christianity would be, and we check out. We go back to doing what we were doing before Jesus came into our life and saved us. That, he's going back to what he was doing before Jesus called him as a disciple. And watch this. Here's the danger. It wasn't just Peter that did it. Because of Peter's influence, six others follow him. The other six disciples join him, and they fish all night, and they fail miserably. Listen, this is what these guys did. Seven of the 12 disciples were professional fishermen, not like going out on the weekend and just throwing a, a rod into the water. These, this is what they did for a living, and they go out. They go back to doing what they were doing before they met Jesus, and they fail miserably. Sometimes it's good to fail, isn't it? When we're running from the Lord, and we fail. It is, it is God getting our attention. They fail miserably. Zebedee, Zebedee's sons, they had a massive fishing business. They were very, very profitable in, in their business. History, history tells us that. Peter and the others, they, they learned to clean fish um, before they learned to walk. Now, this is just what they did from, from day one of their life. And here they are. They're working all night, and they have nothing. But look at what happens. 
in verse 4, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Watch what he says. Verse 5, friends. Highlight that in your Bible. Underscore that. Friends, Jesus called them. You don't have any fish, do you? You don't have anything to eat, do you? No. I wonder if they kind of sheepishly uh, said, no, no, we, we don't. They're, they are running from Jesus, but watch this. Jesus comes running to them. Don't miss this. They are running from Jesus. They have checked out. They're going back to what they are doing, and Jesus makes himself available to them. He approaches them, and he calls them friends. It's a term of endearment. Some of the translations use the word child or children. He calls out to them, uh, children, you don't have anything to eat, do you? It's, he's, it's, he's showing his love towards them. He's, he's endearing himself to them by saying, friends. Have you ever thought of Jesus calling you friend when you rejected him and his plan for you? Just think about that personally. Have you ever thought about Jesus? Oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we feel so guilty from our sin, and we should feel guilty from our sin, but we let that guilt chase us away, from, push us away from Jesus instead of drawing us to him. Guilt was never intended to push us away. Guilt was intended to draw us to him. And here's, here's Jesus pursuing them as they're running away from him. And he says to them, friend, children, gracious call to them. You don't have anything to eat. There's a good chance that they're probably dirt poor at this time. Because they've given up everything to follow Jesus. The one that they're following has been crucified and he's been buried. They've seen him a couple of times, but they have nothing. They have no livelihood. So they're probably dirt poor. They're probably trying to get started again. Jesus says, you don't have anything. It's not, it's not just you don't have any fish. You don't have anything to eat. You have nothing. It's literally what Jesus is saying. So what does he say? Cast the net. Here's the command. It's an imperative command. Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Did you notice the difference between success and failure was the width of the ship? The difference between success and failure was the width of the ship. Listen, we are never far from success when our obedience and submission follows our Lord's commands. Let me say that again. We are never too far from success when our submission and obedience follows the Lord's commands. Here they've been trying this all night long. Professional fishermen doing what they grew up doing. And Jesus says, go the right side. Go the other side of the boat. What happened? Caught a large amount of fish. Listen, we are usually closer to success than what we realize. We are usually closer to that close relationship with Jesus than what we realize. What is Jesus doing here? With each scene, I want you to see what Jesus is doing. You see, because he could have, look with me real quick, because we're going to end in verse 19 this morning. He could have gone verse 1, uh, John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Now skip down to verse 21. Or I'm sorry, verse 19. 
Skip down to verse 19. The last two words of verse 19. Follow me. He could have just shown up on the the Sea of Galilee, seen them out there fishing, failing at fishing, and he could have rebuked them. He could have hollered out to Peter, Peter, what? Just come and follow me. But he doesn't. He's doing something. It's, and this is so crucial for us to see. What is he doing in this first scene? Jesus is leading a spiritually young group of men to food, physical food. Jesus is leading a spiritually young group of men to physical food. Jesus, the good shepherd, is literally providing for them physical nourishment at the same time feeding them spiritually. Don't miss this. Look at what Jesus is doing. Now, go to scene 2, verse 7. Scene 1, Jesus is providing this young group of men spiritual and physical food. Scene 2, look at verse 7. The disciple, <clears throat> always love this, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. <laughs> That's John. Uh, it is the, the writer of this gospel. The, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. So he had, he had you know, he's down to probably his, his shorts while he's fishing all night. He hears that it's Jesus. He looks over, and he sees it's Jesus, ties his, his cloak around him, and he dives into the sea. Verse 8. Since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw saw a charcoal fire. What's important about the charcoal fire? Jesus has Peter standing by the same type of fire that was burning when he denied knowing Jesus. Turn over to John chapter 18 verse 15 through 18. I want you to see this. John chapter 18, verse 15. Simon Peter was following... I'll let you get there. John chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus has been arrested. Simon Peter is following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door, so the other disciples, the one known to the high priest, went out and he spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not. His first public denial of Jesus. I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a, there it is, charcoal fire because it was cold. Here's Peter standing by a charcoal fire with all the aroma of a charcoal fire, everything that's going on just to keep themselves warm. And you know when you stand around a campfire, that's, that's stuck on your clothes for a few days, right? <laughs> you don't just get that off. And here's Jesus having Peter stand right next to a charcoal fire. Verse 9, John chapter 21, verse 9. The charcoal fire, I believe, 
serves as a reminder of Peter's sin and his need for a Savior. What's Jesus doing? He is reminding Peter as he, as he comes out of the water and he's standing by this charcoal fire, probably warming himself up after he's been wet by, by diving in. And the smell, that same smell is a reminder of his sin and his need for a Savior. But look, look what else it says in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Jesus has been cooking breakfast as they've been out there fishing. What is Jesus doing here? Do you remember what happened last time Jesus had bread and fish? <laughs> with a sack lunch, a little boy's sack lunch, Jesus fed five thousand plus people and here the disciples come to see jesus they smell they see the charcoal fire and now they see bread and fish i believe what's going on jesus and peter i'm sorry jesus has peter and the others who are no doubt hungry standing by a grill with fish and bread reminding them of jesus's ability to provide for their every need You see what Jesus is doing here? The charcoal fire reminding them, Peter, of his sin, his need for a Savior. The bread and the fish reminding them that he has the ability to provide for their every need. Now look at verse 10. Bring some of the fish you just caught. Notice Jesus says bring some. I love Peter though, right? Peter's not happy with just bringing some. What does Peter do? Simon Peter, verse 12, verse 11. Simon Peter, Peter climbed up, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153. Jesus says, go get some of the fish. Peter says, what? Okay, I'll go get the whole net. And he brings them all to Jesus. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus commands them to bring their catch to him. What's he doing? He is reminding them of his abundant provisions. Just 15, 20, 30 minutes ago, They have been fishing all night, and they have nothing, and now they have a net full of fish, 153 fish. Jesus is reminding them of their sin, specifically Peter's sin, and his need for a Savior. He is reminding them of his his incredible ability to provide, and here he is reminding them of his abundant provisions, reminding them over and over. What is he doing? What's he doing in this scene? What's the grand overarching theme of this scene? Scene. Scene. Sorry. He is spending time with them. He he is teaching them. He is feeding them spiritually and physically. And don't 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 check out on me here. This sounds a whole lot like a shepherd, doesn't it? Sounds a whole lot like a shepherd. Scene one, Jesus is providing food for them. He's feeding them spiritually. Scene two, Jesus is spending time with them. He is teaching them. He is, he is shepherding them. Now look at scene three, verses 12 through 14. Verse 12, come, another imperative command. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. Oh, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The imagery that John is not wanting us to miss is this. Jesus prepares a meal for his disciples, his friends who deserted him. Get that. He's, he is, while they're out trying to do their own thing, 
While they're out running from him, Jesus is right off to the shore of them, cooking breakfast, preparing a meal for them. One of which who publicly denied him, not once, but three times. And Jesus, oh, I don't think John's wanting us to miss this. Jesus walks over to the grill and he grabs the bread, he breaks it, and he feeds the disciples. He goes back over to the grill, he grabs a fish, he breaks it, and he feeds the disciples. What's the overarching thing? What is Jesus doing? He's, he is serving and he is feeding the disciples. Jesus, the good shepherd, and scene one, he's providing food for his young sheep, feeding them spiritually. Scene two, he's spending time with his sheep. He's, he's shepherding them. Scene three, feeding his sheep with a meal that he has prepared for them. Not, not one that they had to provide. Oh, don't, not one that they had to provide. The, the, the food was already there. Their fish that they caught wasn't the fish that they're eating. Jesus has already prepared a meal for them. Do you see what he's doing? He's feeding, he's shepherding. And he's feeding them, feeding them physically, feeding them spiritually, and he is shepherding them. Now, I want you to look at a text that many people, if you've grown up in the church, you are familiar with, but I don't want you to miss it on the backdrop of what we've just read. Jesus is feeding them spiritually, shepherding them, spending time with them, feeding them physically. Now, watch what happens. Verse 15, scene Four. Scene one, scene two, scene three. Now here we are to scene four. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, it's unknown exactly what Jesus is talking about. He could possibly be talking about the fish. Do you love me more than these boats and and nets and fish? Do you love me more than, than you going back to your old way of life? That's possibly what Jesus is talking about when he says, do you love me more than these? But it could also be that he's talking about the other disciples. When you think about everyone that is there in that scene, he could be saying, do you love me more than these other disciples? Because earlier on in John chapter 6 or John chapter 7, Peter says, I love you more than any of these guys. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? To which Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, I'm going to get just a a little bit technical here, but I don't want you to miss the beauty of this text. In your Bible, or if you're taking notes, I want you to write A for agape. There's two different loves John gives us in this text. There is agape love and there is phileo love. Now, hang with me because I don't want you to miss this. Agape love is Christ-like love. It is, the, it is sacrificial love. It's, it is the type of love that Jesus has given to us, sacrificed his life for us, and it's the type of love that Jesus is calling us to give to one another, sacrifice for, for one another. It is the, the highest level of love, agape love. But there's another love that is paleo love. Now, in our English language, we just have love. But we know the difference, right? We know the difference between I love ice cream and I love my spouse, right? 
love my children. That, that's different. I, I, I love my car, but I love my family. Those are two different types of love, right? In, in the Greek, there's, there's multiple, primarily three, but two, we're going to look at two today. Agape, the highest form of love, and phileo love. Now, I want you to watch what happens. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you, and this won't you, I want you to write this in your Bible or in your notes, agape. Just put an A over the word love in your Bible. Peter, do you, agape, love me more than these? Do you, do you sacrificially love me more than these? To which Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. You know that I have a respect for you. You know that I hold you in high regard. But wait a minute. Jesus says, do you agape love? And Peter says, I phileo love. He's saying, Jesus, you know my past. You reflectively know that at one time I said I would die for you you know what happened around the charcoal fire. You know what happened three times. You told me it was going to happen three times. I didn't believe you, and it happened. To which Jesus responds, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Do you agape love me? Yes, Lord, I, I fully love you. I, I have a loyalty love. Does Jesus say, well, until you agape love me, let's just hold off right now. No, he doesn't. He says, no, I want, to, I want you to feed my lambs, these young sheep who are old enough for sacrifice. I want you to feed them. I want you to feed them spiritually. Now look at what happens. Jesus goes on in verse 16 a second time. Jesus asks, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape? Do you put an A over that love too? He asks him a second time, do you agape love me? To which Peter says, yes, Lord, said to him, you know that I phileo love. You know that I have a high, I'm loyal to you, but you know reflectively that I have failed you. Jesus says, do you agape? Peter says, I phileo, shepherd my sheep. Take care, watch over, rule, protect, feed my, Jesus says, my sheep. Does he wait until Peter says no? I, I, I don't agape love you yet, but, you know, may, maybe I can get there. But, but I just know my past, and I'm, I'm kind of held back by my past. No, Jesus says, I know you don't agape love me yet, but I'm still calling you to shepherd my sheep. A third time. Look at verse 17. He asks him a third time. He asks Peter a third time, Simon, son of John. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Do you not agape phileo? Do you phileo love me? Do you, do, you, do you just have a high affection for me? Do you just have a, a loyalty towards me? Peter was grieved 
His heart was broken. Not because Jesus had to ask him three times, but because Jesus finally says, do you, do you just phileo love me? Watch what Peter's response is. He's grieved that Jesus asked him a third time, do you phileo love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You've, you've seen everything. You know everything about me. You, you know what happened last night. You know what happened seven days ago. Jesus, you know everything about me. You know everything. You know. It's, he uses two different words here. You know reflectively, reflectively everything. And then he says, you know, like, like God knowledge. You, you are above. You know everything beginning and end. You know everything. You know that I, Phileo, love you. To which Jesus says a third time, feed my sheep. Do you hear what Jesus says? I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. What did Jesus just do in the three scenes before it? He shows us a perfect example. Jesus feeds this spiritually young group of men who've been out fishing all night long. He feeds them spiritually. He spends time with them. He shepherds them. He feeds them physically. And here he is. You've seen, he's saying to Peter, you've seen my example. I've just done it for you. Now I want you to go do it for my sheep. Now watch what happens. Verse 18. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But... When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. This sounds a whole lot like, like this is a whole nother scene, but it's not. Jesus has said, do you agape love me? No, I phileo love you. Do you agape love me? No, I phileo love you, Peter. Do you, do you just phileo love me? Yes. Jesus is saying, Peter, I have faith in you. And one day you will agape love me. He is, he is prophesying to what is about to happen to Peter in his death. Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm telling you, your phileo love is going to turn into agape love. You see, when we've been running from the Lord, we don't believe that. When we know our past, when we know how weak we are when temptation comes, like we know that, right? And we know that Jesus knows that every time temptation comes, we fail nine times out of ten. And every time we hear that that God is calling us to rise up, to rise above our temptation, we go, yeah, but I know that I just know temptation is going to come, and I know I just can't help it. It's just what I do. That's where Peter was at. I phileo love you. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, I know that you just phileo love me, but your phileo love is about to turn to agape love. What Jesus is doing is prophesying about how Peter is going to die. Church tradition tells us that in A.D. 67, I believe, that in A.D. 67, Peter watched his wife be crucified, and then he was crucified, and he requested that he be crucified upside down because he didn't see fit to be crucified the same as Jesus. Why was he crucified? Why was he martyred? Because he was spreading the gospel. That's agape love. 
And Jesus is saying, Peter, your phileo love is about to turn to agape love. Now what does he say to him? After he prophesies about how he is going to die, after saying this, he told him, follow me. After telling him, I know you just phileo me, but one day your phileo love is going to turn to agape love. And I'm telling you right now, not later, not someday down the road, not when you feel like your agape love is built up to a certain level that it was before, but right now, right where you're at, I am calling you to follow me, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep, just as I have done for you. Jesus is calling us not to quit. Jesus is calling us not to stop, not to, not to give up. This is, this is the fourth quarter. I don't know how much longer we have until Jesus comes back. But listen, he is calling all of us as faithful followers to follow him. Feed, shepherd, feed. Be about what Jesus has called us to do. Rise up to what, who Jesus has called us to be. Be obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. Say yes to him. I don't know if there's anyone here, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, but I want you to see, listen, if Jesus can restore Peter, who at one time said, Jesus, I, I would die for you. I'd, I'd lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. You're going to deny me three times. And that actually happens. Listen, if Jesus can restore Peter, he can restore you. He can restore one who at one time proclaimed him as Lord and Savior and who denied him. Listen, he can restore someone who has never proclaimed him. And he can make you new. Again, he can give you new life. Say yes to him today. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.